All right, so Matthew chapter 13 and verses 1 through 23 today, Lord willing. <clears throat> we are going verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew. We've been here about a year and um, find ourselves today at a major turning point. Um, Matthew's main objective is to present Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. And so he's been doing that, you know, through the genealogy, through the virgin birth, through his teaching that has authority, through the miracles that he's done, the healings that he's done. And last time we saw that all of this has culminated in some people believing, some people following, but other people are hostile towards Jesus. In fact, the religious rulers, the religious establishment, the authorities, the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews are hostile against Jesus. They've seen everything that he does. They know who he is full well. And this culminated with them saying, Jesus is doing miracles by the power of Satan, right? Which is a capital offense, like using sorcery to do things in Israel. You get stoned to death for that. And that's what we saw last time, Jesus doing a healing. And then the Pharisees turning around and saying, you know, Jesus did this by the power of the devil, right? And so now when we get into chapter 13, it's a major turning point. Jesus changes his methodology, I guess you would say, for ministry at this point. He has been speaking to them plainly and telling everybody the, the plain truth of the gospel. You remember he said, if you're not with me, you're against me. You know, if you don't gather with me, then you scatter. He's making it very clear that you're in or you're out, you know, and he's proven who he is. But now he's going to change his teaching method. He's going to start teaching them in parables. And I'll tell you why um, we believe that he is doing that as we go on. And I'll tell you what a parable is. And so that's chapter 13. We get into the parables. It's another discourse. One of five major discourses is, or teaching sections in the Gospel of Matthew. This parable today that we begin studying, it's, it's just really fascinating. Um, it has to do with how the teaching that Jesus brings into the world spreads and what sort of response is to be expected. How his teaching comes into the world, how it spreads around, and the response that is to be expected. Let's go ahead and we'll read our text, Matthew chapter 13. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the sea. Great multitudes were gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded, yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? You see, they notice something's different. Why do you do this now? He answered them, he answered and said to them, 
Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand." And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away, or snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. So when tribulations or persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Heavenly Father, we love you and we love your word and we thank you for it. And we ask today as we study it that beyond the words of a man, your spirit speak to us. Show us ourselves as we study the word, open our hearts. Help us to receive that which you'd have for us. Show us our Savior. Make the book live to us by the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. And we do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Matthew is called the gospel of the kingdom by some people because, you know, Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of God is. And that's the big prevalent theme in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew says Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah and he brings the kingdom of God. Now, as we've talked about before, there are two aspects to the term the kingdom of God. Depending on your eschatological you know, views of end times, there are two uh, understandings of this term the kingdom of God. And they're very easy to remember. There's one that's an already and another one that's a what? Not yet. Yeah, an already and a not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. Um, there is an aspect of the kingdom of God that is yet to come. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus Christ will come and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. It says in the book of Zechariah, it gives very description, very, you know, descriptive, descriptive description of uh, this reign, this rule and this reign. And uh, so that's the not yet aspect of the kingdom of God, that Jesus, you know, will bring this kingdom um, after the church age. And if you study end times, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. There is an already aspect to the kingdom of God. A very easy way to understand that is wherever people are worshiping the king, that's essentially the kingdom of God. 
if Jesus is the king of your life and he rules and reigns in your heart, then, you know, the kingdom of God is within you. You're, you're worshiping the king. You're, a, you're an ambassador of his kingdom. This essentially is an outpost of the kingdom of God. It's like a, you know, a, a, you know station, a, a little, uh, you know, representation of it because we're ruled by the king, some of us. I can't assume all of us are. I don't know what all of you do in your spare time. I don't know. But, and I don't know if all of you are saved here, but... If you're saved and Jesus is your king, he's your Lord, there's the kingdom of God. Your house is an outpost of the kingdom of God if you are leading your home with Jesus leading you, right? So in this passage today, Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of God comes into this world. This is kind of the already aspect of it. And what he's saying is, you know, how salvation, spiritual healing, physical healing, joy, transformation, Christ-likeness, blessing, forgiveness of sins, how this comes into the world. The kingdom of God comes into this world by the word that enters the ears and reaches the hearts, Right? Pretty simple, I know. But the kingdom of God, it's interesting because the kingdom of man, how does that come? Through voting, through force, through politicking, through violence, you know? The kingdoms of this world come and impose upon man from the outside in. It's interesting, the kingdom of God comes to man so differently. It's kind of bizarre. It's so bizarre, John the Baptist didn't even get it, right? Remember, John the Baptist was like, hey, uh, Jesus, are you the one, or should we look for somebody else, right? Because they're expecting the Messiah to come and set up this military rule and reign. He's going to overthrow Rome, and, and they don't really get it because they're expecting man's methodology of the kingdom. Remember, Jesus said, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you be the servant of all. The kingdom of God is somewhat backwards. It doesn't come by force. It comes by this bizarre message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the word of God, and it comes into men and women's ears and it reaches their heart. Now, this is what I want you to understand today. This is what we're going to focus on. The spiritual condition of your heart determines the effect of the word of God in your life. The spiritual condition of your heart determines the effect of the Word of God in your life. <clears throat> Outline simple three parts. The parable, the uh, answer to the question, why parables? That's the parable's purpose. And number three, the parable explained. Number one, the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils. So on that same day, it says, verse 1, that Jesus went out and he sat by the sea. I like that. That'd been a really long day of ministry. You know, Jesus had been accused of breaking the Sabbath, of healing, you know, by the power of the devil. If you just read back through chapter 12, this has been a long day. And so it says, on this day, the same day, the same day his parents or his, you know, mom came with his brothers and tried to take him because they thought he was out of his mind, right? On that same day, Jesus gets up and he goes by the sea. And I know this is just an aside, but think about Jesus, he goes out to sit by the sea. He's probably smelling wildflowers by the Sea of Galilee, hearing the waves gently lapping upon the shore, smelling the water, hearing the sounds that you would hear. And he did that to go get some rest. You know, and I know it's kind of an aside, but I really feel like there's probably more than one person in here that needs to look at the fact that Jesus rests and be okay with yourself that you need to rest, right? And I just wanted to point that out before we move on. 
Now, although he's going out and trying to rest, look at verse 2. <laughs> Great multitudes come and find him. And Jesus doesn't say, look, man, I got my email autoresponder turned on. Leave me alone. You know, I mean, I just, I'm not in the office right now. He doesn't do that. What he does is he gets into a boat and he begins to teach him. I'm going to show you a picture. Um, you know, Google it sometime. It's called the Cove of Parables is what they call it, or the... Uh, Bay of Parables, the Cove of the Sower. You just Google these different things. Archaeologists, you know, people have pretty much pinpointed where this took place. This is sloped right here. So it's a natural amphitheater. Acoustic engineering professionals have went out there and tested. If a guy's sitting in the boat, how, there's actually books on this, right? Um, how far could a human's voice project? Is it possible that great multitudes could hear Jesus? And they've, they've written these fascinating papers on this. And so apparently, you know, Jesus was setting somewhere out in here on a boat. And as he's talking, his, uh, you know, the acoustics, the waves, the sound waves are bouncing off the water and they're distributing to this natural amphitheater. And he's speaking to this great multitude in the position of a teacher, sitting, right? And that's how the Jews would teach. The rabbis would sit down, and, and that's what he's doing. Now, it says that he spoke to them in parables. A parable, just a simple way to understand it, it's a Greek word, it's a compound word, para, bale. It means to cast alongside. Para is alongside. Abalo, to cast. Parabalo, to cast alongside. An easy way to understand this is it's an earthly story that describes a heavenly truth. Simple way to understand it. An earthly story from just like everyday life that describes a heavenly truth. In a biblical sense, that's what we mean when we say parables. True to life stories, but not necessarily actual events but true to life sort of stories. <clears throat> Parables are used to teach, this is a good principle for interpreting the Bible, is they're used to teach one central truth. You can get into some errors in interpreting parables and trying to make every aspect of it correlate to something. That's more of what we would call allegory. In an allegory, typically every detail means something, right? There are allegories in the Bible. You remember Paul says in the book of Galatians, he says, Mount Sinai, that's like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Hagar. And then, you know, he makes, that's more of like allegory. John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, that's an allegory. Everything in it has a symbol and, you know. But in parables, you want to make sure that when you're trying to interpret them, that you look, first of all, at the immediate context. You have to really get a grasp of the immediate context. You have to understand that every detail, you don't press it all through. It's just teaching one central truth. And you see, so you look for the one central truth in it. Now, <clears throat> going on in verse 3, um, it's 3 through 9, then it's going to be this story of this farmer going out and spreading some seed around. Farming methods were different in Jesus' time than they are today. We have tractors now, they go out and plow the fields, and it's this really nice, you know, well done area. Just in Iowa, we see this all the time, right? After, you know, the ground's all cultivated, everything's perfect. A um, little different in Israel in these times. They didn't have the machinery, of course, and so. When a farmer was going to go out and plant some seed, like he does in this one, they just, you know, some of the ground was good. Some of it had rock. Just there's tons of rock in Israel all mixed in in the, in the soil. You know, the soil's a few inches deep in a lot of places. And, and so there's not really a lot of depth in it. And then, then there were paths, you know, that people would walk on right up next to the field, um, you know. And so 
that's what the field would be like. It's all uneven, all kinds of different stuff. And so the farmer would just go out essentially and take, you know, they think like when you're planting wheat, like a 20-pound bag, and you would just broadcast it. You know what broadcasting is? It just You're taking it and you're just flinging it in every direction, just every place possible out in this field, just generally. And that's how they would do it. Now, that's what's going on here. And when he says, behold, a sower went out to sow, that's what he's talking about, a farmer with seeds, See it in verse 3, he's going out to sow. <clears throat> so this um, illustration would have been very easy to understand for them, very vivid picture, you know, like the, it's an agrarian society, agrarian culture. They were, most of them were farmers or else they were keeping farms for the landlords of the property they lived on. Very familiar picture. Uh, not so much today, a sower went out to sow. Maybe in Iowa, in Southern California where I lived, a sower went out to sow, like, I don't know, what are you talking about, stitching, you know, or, or what? But very common illustration, you know, it's just a plain story. And as he sowed, verse 4, some seed fell by the wayside, the birds came and devoured them. Now, these are the paths that people would walk on, and it would just be packed down so hard. Reminds me of the farm that I grew up on, 20 acres, and then there was this cool little road that went around it. And as long as you drove the truck out enough, you know, you would keep it packed down, and, and it was cool. And so some of these are as hard as pavement. And what would happen is the farmer would go out and sow, and the birds were like, hey, that's snack time, you know? And they'd see the seeds bouncing up, and they would just go gobble it up, you know, right then. Now, some fell on stony places. Now, this is the sort of soil where, um, you know, below the surface, there's, you know, rock. And so there are, you know, two, three inches of soil right on top of it. And what would happen is the seed would hit that soil and it would just sprout up right away because the sun has, you know, the rock underneath of it's warm. It's ideal for germination, right? And so, and since it's so shallow, it just, just pop up right away. But then when the sun would really come out, it would scorch it. You know, reminds me of how I tried to grow cilantro last year. Like I had all this stuff that was growing really well in house and the little pods and everything. And I move it outside and like by the end of that afternoon, it was all toast, you know, like oh, I'm just not a gardener, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, so I learned, learned about that. So that's what would happen though. The seed would fall and just pop up right away. And the minute the sun comes out, it's scorched, right? And no good. Didn't have any time to develop any roots. Verse 7 says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. See, in Israel's fields, you know, I talked about all these different types of soil going on, and, and some of them, uh, you know, they had light tools to plow and stuff like that, but, you know, you're, you're cultivating it, but still the seeds of these thorns are in certain areas, right? And so here comes the wheat seed, sprouts up, but before it can ever come to any sort of maturity... These other plants just suck all the nutrients out of the soil and block the sunlight, and it doesn't produce any fruit. Verse 8 says that there was some good ground, though, obviously, and others fell on good ground, yielded a crop, and pretty good yield here. You know, I read some things that said uh, this is an extraordinary harvest, any of these, that normally they would get eight times, and I don't know how accurate that is, but tremendous as that sower goes out indiscriminately broadcasting seed, this is what would happen. It would fall on these four different types of surfaces. Then Jesus gives them a challenge. He says, for those of you that have ears to hear, let him hear. Now some would have said, I have ears. Duh. You know, I heard you. I got things to do. Come on. Well, I came out here to listen 
guy, rabbi, talk about farming. It's a challenge. Those of you that have ears to hear, let them hear. If you're concerned, try to understand. Try to understand what's going on. Now, number two, the purpose of the parables. So the disciples of Jesus, they come in and they've noticed something's different, verse 10, and they say, well, why are you doing this now? I mean, you have just been in people's face. Like, you're in or you're out in the kingdom. I am, you know, sent uh, to, you know, you've been so literal in your teaching, and now you've switched to this other method, this cryptic sort of thing. What are you doing? And that's a good question. So why do you speak to them in parables? Let me give you a few reasons that Jesus does not speak in parables. Uh, One of them being, uh, he doesn't speak just to make truths easier to understand, as people think. And I've heard a lot of pastors say that. Oh, now he's just going to start using illustrations to try to to really help people get it. It's not so. Um, He wasn't doing it to be more relevant, you know, to try to be like with the times, like, Jesus, you're a preacher, but you got to get really relevant, man. You got to get hip, you know, and like start speaking in the people's language. You know, it wasn't wasn't that. Uh, not to spice up ministry with cool stories. Those are some, I've actually heard people say all those things, but that's not why. He's going to describe why, uh, it, you know, in the next verses, 11 through 13, he answers. Jesus answered and said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So what he's doing right now is he's saying there's a marked difference between you, meaning disciples, and all these other people. And he's saying to you, Christians, it's been given to you to understand, but to other people, hasn't been given to them to understand. Verse 12 says, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and he'll have abundance. Now, that's talking about a person at this point in Jesus' ministry that has enough understanding to know that he's the Messiah, has enough understanding to trust him, to follow him has enough understanding to realize that they need him. They're disciples. They're following him. And that's what he's getting at. Those of you that have, more will be given. Now, that's really encouraging if you're a brand new Christian because you don't really have to know everything all at once. That's really good. You just have to have a basic understanding of who Jesus is, of who you are, why, you're need, why you need Jesus, because you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that he's the savior, that he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins so through faith in him you can be forgiven, that you can be born again and that you can go to heaven. If you have that basic understanding of what they have back in that classroom back there, Jesus loves me this, I know for the Bible tells me so. If you have that, that's good theology, by the way. Better than most of the worship songs out today. If you have that basic of an understanding, God's going to keep revealing more to you. If you have the desire to know more, that is encouraging. And I will tell you, I've been walking with the Lord just 12 years. Some of you are like, I've been walking with the Lord 30 years. Isn't that cool? How he just keeps, man, you think you, think you get something figured out and you kind of get stale and the Lord says, no, no, you're just, you're dull. <laughs> Let me wake you up a little bit. And you get woken up through some trials and difficulties in life. And then God just, mm, he opens your eyes and uh, you just learn so much more about him. And oh, it's so good. Painful, but good, right? Now, what he's saying is to you that are desiring to know more, you're going to know more. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. The people that are just hanging around listening to Jesus 
and they don't really have any understanding. Why is he telling us about farming? Oh, this guy casts out demons by the devil, you know, like this guy. You know, you don't really get it. They're seeing the miracles of God. They're seeing the transformed lives of God all around them. And there's evidence of Jesus all around. But there's like this willful, like, I don't want to get it. I don't understand. I just, and so what he's saying is the people that are in that position, they don't have any desire. They don't trust. Even the understanding that they have will be taken from them. That reminds me of somebody that's just been like grown up in church, forced to go to church. They get older, they hang on for a little bit. And then eventually they just kind of lose all the spiritual understanding that they ever had. You know, they just go the way of the world. Because they didn't keep, they didn't stay interested, you know. Now, Mark, in his account, he gets at this. He said to them, to you, it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So, verse 13, now he answers that question just directly. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor understand. These Pharisees, these religious people that are around, these people that are looking at the miracles of Jesus and saying, this is done by the devil, they're not giving their lives to Jesus, they're not trusting in him, they're not responding to the gospel. I speak to them now in parables, because although they're hanging around, they're not getting what's going on. And so now he's starting to veil the message from them. It's kind of interesting. It's like a guy could stand up in a church and just say, okay, you know what? There's some people in here that just week after week come and they're just not getting it and they're not really interested. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to start speaking a little cryptically. So only you that want to understand are going to get it. And these people that don't really have any desire to understand, it's going to be kind of like a separation, right? Now, there's a lot of reasons that commentators and scholars suggest that Jesus started doing this. I'll read a few. Jesus used parables to separate the hearers from the true listeners. I think that's clear from the text, what he says. Uh, Another commentator says he calls true believers to think below the surface and go deeper. I think that's accurate, too. Um, Another one says that these parables repelled people that were hostile to Jesus. Why is this guy? It's frustrating. Why is this guy talking to us about seed? Just tell us, you know, are you going to bring the kingdom of God? You know, are you going to overthrow Rome? Just tell us, right? Another commentator says that he did not want to, this is interesting, he did not want to add more responsibility to unbelievers by imparting truth to them for which they would be held responsible. That's a biblical concept too, though, right? That there's this passage where, you know, in the Gospel of Luke, where essentially the, the point is, is he's talking about the master of the house and how he knew that his master was, you know, the the steward of the house, and he knew the master was going to come at a certain time, but what he did was he beat the servants. You guys remember that parable? And essentially the the point is, is because he knew that his master was coming and he didn't do the right thing, he was more accountable than somebody that didn't know. And that's a biblical concept that you are accountable for the truth that you have. If, If you know the gospel and reject it, that's a different level of accountability than somebody that doesn't know as much as you do about it, right? So when people ask this question, what about a guy in a tribe in New Guinea that's never heard the gospel? I can tell you this, God will deal with him righteously because God's righteous. And then I always turn it back to that person. I say, but what about you that knows who Jesus is? What about you? Because you've been given a lot of blessings. You probably have five Bibles that are collecting dust. 
You probably have every Bible app accessible to it on your cell phone that your fingers are calloused from being on all day, right? What about you? And so I think at this point, I think Jesus is actually, I agree with this commentator, Dwight Pentecost from Dallas Theological Seminary. I agree with him. I think what he's getting at, based on that passage in Luke, is that Jesus is being merciful and he's saying, look, these people have determined to reject me. I'm just not going to keep heaping more and more on them, you know? It's kind of like this. If I say week after week after week after week, you need to give your life to Christ. You're going to go to hell without him. You gotta, you're, you're dead in trespasses and sins. You need Jesus. I keep saying that over and over and over again. And you just keep callousing and callousing and callousing more and more. I'm kind of like have some part and you, you're on your way to the unpardonable sin. If you listen to Bible teaching week after week after week and you don't do anything about it, you're becoming more calloused and your accountability is increasing every time. God's going to pull that all up in judgment. Every sermon you hear is going to come up in the judgment. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you come up with this? Why didn't you respond to it? Why didn't you give your life to Christ? You know, that's, that's going to be what judgment looks like for you if you're standing here today rejecting Jesus. And you're, everything you've ever heard about Jesus is going to come up against you in judgment. And God's going to say, why didn't you respond? I sent people into your life. Your grandma was praying for you. It took you to Sunday school. Your mom was praying for you. You got that letter that one time that just came from nobody. You didn't even know. One time that you were serving tables, you got a tip and, and it had Jesus loves you written on the, on the receipt. Do you remember that? You know, and, or whatever. And, and all that stuff, it's all light being given to you and you're accountable for the light that's been given to you. And so Jesus starts to speak to them in parables because they're like, we don't want anything to do. I think he's being merciful in part of it too. And he's feeding the sheep. He's feeding the flock and he's addressing the peripheral people. Verse 14 and 15, what he explains in there, I don't want to go through this in depth for time's sake, but he's explaining that actually by him speaking in parables, it's fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah said about the people in his day, right? The people in Isaiah's day, rejected God to the point to where it got him into exile. If you've read your Old Testament, you know, it's a major part of the Old Testament is God's people going into exile. And their rejection of the things of God, of the prophets of God, it landed them in uh, exile. And Jesus gives a reason there. Verse 15. Let's just focus on this. I mean, you know, he says their eyes don't see, their ears are hard of hearing, and it's very similar. But verse 15 gives a reason. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. No. Same thing happened in Jesus' day. Same thing happened then. Rejected God in Old Testament times, ends up in exile. Rejected God in Jesus' day, ended up at the crucifixion. The leaders of the Christian church rejecting God today has turned into progressive Christianity, people abandoning the Bible altogether. You know what I mean? It's just judgment. It's another form of judgment. This country is absolutely, in my opinion, I can't say absolutely in my opinion, can I? Is that like a misnomer? (laughs) Absolutely, in my opinion. Here's absolutely my opinion. But I think that this country is under judgment. I think Christians are under judgment, but we're so blind we don't even understand it. But God has done what he says in Romans chapter 1, that he gives you over to your own sin. If you don't hear the voice of the Spirit, you're not compelled to get on your knees before Christ today. It's maybe because he's given you over to the own lust of your own heart, the own idolatrous lust of your own heart. I've been given over at times in my life. I know what it feels like. And you have to, you have to ask God, Lord, bring me back. Have you ever read the book of Judges? That's what the whole book of Judges is about. It's the, the judges spiral. Things go well. People are prosperous. They forget God. They start worshiping other gods, comfort, sex, money, respect, power. 
God has to deal with him again. He sends a judge. The judge starts bringing the truth and condemning him. They all reject him. Eventually, some of them start to repent. God renews them. Prosperity comes back again. They start doing the same thing all over and over again. Where's America at in that judge cycle, by the way? We've been so given over to the lusts of our own heart. We're so idolatrous. Even the Christians in this country, by and large, are just so idolatrous. They worship themselves. They don't worship Jesus. I'm at the top of the list. I know this goes on in my own heart, too. Don't think I'm saying them and me. I see this in my own heart. If I don't stay close to Jesus Christ, my heart will grow dull. Your heart will grow dull. Our heart is like a factory that produces idols. It wants everything else more than it wants God continuously. Now, he says their hearts had grown dull. He says if their hearts hadn't grown dull, if they weren't willfully rebellious, they'd turn, I'd heal them. Here's why healing and salvation and joy and blessing and growth is not coming into somebody's life here today, and it's because your heart has grown dull. You want other things more than you want Jesus. But if you'll get that straight with him, he'll heal you. Number three, the parable explained. Jesus interprets the parable. I want to say this again before moving on. I don't ever want you to think when I stand up here and preach and say you and you and this. When I'm saying you, I'm just hoping you understand this is directed at you, but it's directed at me. It's directed at me, too. We're all, we all need this, right? I just want to make sure you know that. He interprets the parable, verse 18, therefore hear the parable of the sower. He's speaking to the disciples. Let me give you the Rosetta Stone, the key to the parable. The sower is, in this instance, God, Jesus, spreading the word out. And it can also apply to us. Anybody that's spreading the word of God out is the sower. And the wicked one, you know, is represented by the birds. The birds are like Satan coming and snatching up the seed. What's the seed? What is it? The word of God. That's right. So the sower is out just putting the word of God out there, and Satan is coming and taking it right out of some people's hearts. And how about the soils? What are the soils? The four different soils are what? Nope. Good try, though. And I commend your confidence just as different types of hearts. Different types of hearts. Now, When anybody hears the word of the kingdom, verse 19, the seed, when the seed falls on their heart, anybody, and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. This is a hard-hearted person. These are people that have willfully hardened their hearts. They don't want. They may be in churches, but they may not. But these are people that have willfully hardened their hearts. Their hearts are hardened towards the things of God. This person is utterly unteachable in this state. This is willful blindness, their minds closed, their ears deaf, their eyes blind, hard-hearted, like a packed dirt road. Now, verse 20 is the superficial heart. The superficial heart. Verse 20 says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word 
and immediately receives it with joy. But since there's no root in himself, uh, he just endures for a while. He or she endures for a while. And then when persecution comes up as a result of the word, as a result of being a Christian, they just take off. This is the sort of person that, you know, people would... Uh, condemn Billy Graham. A lot of times they'd say, Billy Graham, you ask all these people to come forward, thousands of them come forward, but how many of them stick? Well, he'd point them to the parable of the soils and say, you know, some of them do respond emotionally. And that's what this is. This is an emotional response. They immediately receive the word with joy. This is the sort of person that is looking at Christianity and spirituality, just kind of like entertainment in a way. This is, this is somebody that gets blessed by hearing cool teachers. They're, they will say things like, ooh, did you hear that, Pastor? Ooh, because he really, ooh, you know. Or they're, or they're reading Bible verses and they're like, oh, I like that verse. And it's like, really, it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. It's God's truth, you know what I mean? Uh, why do you like it? Why don't you make a calendar and put it on the side of your desk where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and you just apply that to your life as you're going to close 20 deals this month, you know? Like, that's not what it means. You know, I don't care if you like the verse or not. It's the truth of God. Right? And this is the person, like Thomas Jefferson, that made the Jefferson Bible, and he went with his cut and paste, and he made his own Bible, and he took out what he didn't like, and he put, you know what I mean? These are people that approach spirituality for entertainment purposes, and they do it all the time. People that listen to sermons just to get stimulated, you know? People that are just trying to get stimulated by it. They have an emotional response. These are the people that want the blessings, but not the blesser. These are the people that want the stuff, but not the Savior. These are the people that when you say, hey, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Well, wait a minute. No, I can't deny myself. I'm in it for the joy. I'm in it for the excitement. I'm in it for the entertainment value. I'm in it for the stimulation. And those sort of people, the minute that they start to understand the way of the cross, that he who's going to find his life will do it because he loses his life. For my sake, says Jesus. The person that, says, that sings that song that says, oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die. That's the sort of person where they start to hear these words about death to self and wait a minute, I got to take my agenda and submit it all to Jesus. All my amb ambitions, hopes and dreams and plans, Jesus, all for Jesus. This is the person that starts to hear that stuff and says, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I just want the blessings. I don't want the blesser. I want a good teacher. I don't want a savior. I want to get stimulated to have some water cooler talk. And I, I want to feel good about myself like I checked a box and went to church. And I just want to feel like I'm a good moral person. So when I go to the PTA meeting, everybody doesn't look down on me. I'm that sort of person. But I don't want anything to do with this self-death and serving Jesus and denying myself and picking up my cross and following Jesus. That's, I don't want that. I'm out. This is the person that right when it becomes difficult to follow Christ, you don't see him in church for weeks until something happens in their life, bad again, and then they think they need to go to church to atone for themselves again because they're their own savior. I just saved myself by going to church again and now I got the pat on the back spiritually. I can go out of here and I can go just continue on the crooked life that I've been living. Right? It's idolatrous. I want the stuff more than the savior. I want the blessings more than the blesser. The next heart is the divided heart. This is the most miserable of all of them, verse 22. This is the person that gets saved and God bless them. They, they're real Christians. It starts producing. There's debate on whether they're real Christians or not. I think they are. And the word of God takes effect in their life. But look what it says. 
He who receives seed among the thorns, verse 22, is he who hears the word care, but, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. These are the Christians that are so concerned about money, popularity, fame, looks, career, family, friends, hobbies, pastimes, cars, whatever it is, that they're in this constant battle. I want Jesus to be my master. I know that he's Lord of all. and He should be my master. I should be mastered by him. But every time, you know, now, I, but I want to do this instead, you know? Wait a minute. You know, you say I should be in the word. I should be praying, pastor, if I want to produce fruit in my life. If I want to serve Jesus, I need to be attending church. I should be doing these kind of things. I should be involved in serving Jesus. But I just can't do it because I'm so busy doing these other things. You know, you know, once the kids are gone, then I'll get back to church on Sundays, you know, then I'll start going back to church again. You know, when it becomes easier, then I'll get back and start doing that again. You know, this just isn't the time of my life. You know, my career's going really well. And and here's the whole thing is, it just seems like I can't go to my church's Wednesday service or Sunday service because, you know, they're asking me to work. And, you know, my career is extremely important. I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor. I, you know, I have to do this. You know, but I'll tell you what, I worship God out on the golf course anyway, right? These people are the most miserable because they have so much Jesus in them that they can't just fully turn like the shallow people. They can't just say, oh, to heck with this, I'm done with this. But they have so much of the world in them that they can't sit in church without having their mind on their worldly things. These are the most miserable people by far. The divided heart. The psalmist says a great prayer. He says, Lord, Unite my heart to fear your name. You ever heard that? Lord, unite my heart. He, this psalmist recognized it. I have this propensity, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, and seal it for thy courts above. Right? Bids me come and die to give my all, the wondrous cross. These people are miserable. God help us. Wasted life. Samson's. Samson's. Saul's. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears in the word and he just understands it. She understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. This is the person that trusts Jesus, that wants to understand, that wants to know more about spiritual things, that keeps their heart cultivated. This is the cultivated heart. This is the good soil. Now, which heart are you? It begs the question, right? (laughs) One of them Jesus commends, the other three are warnings. What do you do? How do you keep a cultivated heart? Right away, well, first of all, keep the thorns out of your garden. The cares of the world. If anything is... if, if anything is coming before your relationship with Jesus Christ, that's a thorn. That's a care of the world. That's, that's something that's choking out the fruitfulness in your life. You got to deal with it. You need to subordinate your family interests, your hobby interests, your money interests. You have to subordinate all that stuff to Jesus Christ. It's not saying those things are bad. You know, the worst kinds of thorns are the good things. It's not the bad things. I mean, some of us are so far beyond that. You know, I used to drink. I used to have illicit relationships, whatever else. That was, that was yesteryear, right? 
It's the good things. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He'll have you involved in all these things where it just makes sense. It seems even spiritual, but the fruit is putting Jesus on the back burner while you do this other thing continuously. No one can serve two masters. He'll hate the one, he'll love the other, he'll despise the one. He'll... It doesn't work like that. So you keep the weeds out of your garden. If you want a cultivated heart, you've got to get out there and get the weeds out of the garden. This is coming in a few months here, weeks. Huh, wish it was days. Or if you're going to garden here, you've got to get out and start preparing that garden. You need to be preparing your garden all the time. How do you come to church? Do you prepare your heart before you come in here? You should. You should sit and prepare your heart to come receive the seed of the word of God. You should. So pray for people. Pray for yourself. Pray for your pastor. Pray for this whole situation. Pray for your heart not to be, Lord, don't let my heart get hardened. I don't want my heart to get hardened. I don't want to be shallow. I don't want to be responding emotionally to all this stuff. I don't want to be one of those people that's just seeking the blessing. I want the blesser. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made this. I want this to be about you. My eyes get turned on myself all the time. What can I get out of it rather than what, rather than Jesus? What kind of response to the preaching of the word is Jesus looking for in your life? Luke chapter 8, verse 18. I'll just end with this. He, um, same account, same, just Luke's version of it. You might want to turn there. If you're a Bible highlighter, this, is, this would be a great verse for, for you, for me to focus on this week. It'd just be really good in light of what we just said here today. I do apologize. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Yeah. Exhortation that Jesus gives to those listening based on the same situation. Luke chapter 8, verse 18. And if you're a Bible highlighter, just even these first, this first exhortation. Therefore, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. How do you take heed what you hear? I've alluded to it. Prepare your heart to come to church. Prepare your heart to sit down in your Bible reading time and, and take this in. Paul commended the Thessalonians because they didn't receive the word of God as it was the word of man. They received it as the word of God as it truly is. You read that in Thessalonians. We went through it. You need to ask God today, God, I've got rocks in my heart. I'm shallow. I really am. I'm just looking to get blessed and, you know, I'm an entertainment junkie. I'm just looking for a spiritual high time. I like this pastor, though. He gets all animated. You need to ask God to take those rocks out of your heart. Well, you know what? I've been listening to this guy for going on 40 minutes. Uh, is it lunchtime yet? I don't really care about this stuff. My wife made me come here. My sister's manipulating me to go to church. I, you know, I don't know what it is. I just, whatever, I'm here. I know I'm here. Isn't that good enough? Uh, Lord, I don't know what to say to a person like that that's hardened themselves willfully. If you harden yourself to Jesus Christ, you're in a bad spot. You're on your way to committing the unpardonable sin. You better ask the Lord to break up your packed down heart. I don't know any other way 
I don't have any self-help method to, to do that for you. I don't have 10 steps to have a soft heart. You just better ask the Lord to help you, you know. Um, if you've got thorns in the garden, something real practical is, is maybe just go home. Take a look at your bank account. It's going to tell you exactly what your idols are. Exactly. It's going to tell you what your top priorities are. Take a look at your schedule. It's going to show you what your top priorities are. Bring both of those things before the Lord. See what he thinks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word here today, God. And I pray for those that it's spoken to that this takes a lot of pressure off as the pastor to know that there's these four different types of soils and just planting the seed here. And, and Heavenly Father, I pray for those that really need a touch from you today. And Heavenly Father, I confess to you the wickedness of my own heart, Lord, and the allure of worldly things. Help my heart, Lord. Help all of our hearts that recognize that to stay thorn-free, Lord. Help us to cultivate our gardens. I pray for those that may not know you today. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you, um, if you don't know the Lord today and you want to come and be a Christian, I'm just going to guide you through a prayer here. And it's very simple. It's just you have to understand that you have broken God's laws. Uh, you read the Ten Commandments, that gives you a clue of what they are. Thou shalt not steal, kill, adultery, um, different things like that. We've all broken them. We've all broken them multiple times. And so the first thing God wants you to do is he just wants you to acknowledge that. He wants you to acknowledge the fact that you've broken his laws. Laws of morality are very similar to laws of physics, laws of gravity, anything else. God created them. God created the universe. God created laws of morality. If I offend the law of gravity, I break my neck. If I offend the law of morality, law, you know, moral laws, I break, God's, um, I break God's laws. And what God says is the wages of sin is death. And so God has determined when he created his universe that breaking his moral laws equals the death penalty, eternal death, death in hell and separation from him. So first of all, you need to acknowledge that and admit to him, Lord, I've fallen short of your glory. I've broken your laws. Then the next thing you need to do is understand that that death penalty was paid, and this is going to blow your mind, it was paid by God himself. You couldn't pay it because it was an eternal offense against an eternal God, so it has to have an eternal payment. So God the eternal came in the form of man, and on the cross he paid an eternal debt of sin, and he paid that payment. All the sin in the world was laid upon Jesus Christ on the cross. That death penalty was paid, and you need to believe that. You need to believe that he did that in your place, and you need to trust in that. You need to trust that he, because of what he did, not because of anything that you do, but because of what he did on the cross, that your debt's been paid. God said that anybody that believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. Anybody that comes to me, I by no means will turn away, Jesus said. Anybody that will come and believe that simple, weird message <laughs> will be saved. Beautiful message to those that are being saved. And then he says, confess. He says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Live your life with him as Lord of your life and trust in him. Turn from your sin, turn to your Savior. So if you want to do that today, um, God's arms are open wide and you can do it right now. Father, strengthen us throughout this week that we might live 
for you, that we might honor you. In Jesus' name.